Welcome to our special weekly podcast, SME SOS. Each week I'll be sharing this additional podcast taken from my weekly live interviews on Instagram with industry leaders and founders, all of whom share their insights and advice for businesses navigating this unprecedented time of uncertainty, but also opportunity. My usual podcast, Conversations of Inspiration, is still coming out every Monday where I share soulful founder stories or those who simply inspire me. But thanks to Dell, we are able to continue creating this unique podcast for the small business community at a time where we need all the advice we can get. Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down where we're going. You won't need to bring your frown. This week, I'm talking to the brilliantly talented designer Donna Wilson and Molly Price, founder of Molly Meg. Both Donna and Molly stand out from the crowd, full stop, with their own distinctive style and taste, but both have remained true to their brand and small. It is something that I talk about often, but these two founders are the proof in the pudding that small is powerful and small can be different. Remaining nimble, agile and reactive allows you to basically react quickly, follow your soul, make decisions based on gut and instinct. And I mean, I've built Holly & Co purely on the belief in the power of small, and that wasn't in any business rule book. But as my first guest, Donna Wilson, reveals, small doesn't mean you must be confined to the UK. Small can still mean international. In fact, that's the very reason Donna went overseas was so that she could remain niche, creating product that made her heart sing and allowed her to commercially do what she loves without compromising on her quirky creativity. She just had to find her fans all over the world. As ever, she was just an utter joy to speak to and I admire her greatly. And she was so generous with her time and her insights in this interview. And remember, the full interview here and others can be found on my IGTV. So do go and take a look. I am. I'm actually in now, which is brilliant. (laughs) Oh, that's so nice. How have you been? Because it's been a very odd time for us all. And I know you're a mum of two boys. You sell internationally. You sell to boutiques. You know, how have you been, Donna? I'm I'm not going to talk about all the sort of doom and gloom of it all because everybody kind of knows all that and the homeschooling and all right that but I want to be quite positive today because there are actually a few positives that have come out of it I think it's just given us all a bit of a chance to stand back and see what really is important to us mm. and for thinking like do we need to do something different do we because ne- we all know now we need to evolve I have to say we've had such great support and you you included in that from our customers and for our, our web sales have really kind of leapt up. We, so we've been sort of just looking at, at that and seeing, I mean, this, this is the part now where we'd normally do our trade shows and that's where we get, you know, half our new customers and then see half of our old customers again. So it's now like, what do we do now without a trade show? And I have to say, last few years, I wasn't enjoying the trade shows so much. It's not as exciting when you've done them 50 times. Um, 
So it's trying to think, do we need to do them? And finding new ways of communicating our new products. How do we do that? Do we do like a little Zoom live session with our customers? Or it's all unknown at the moment. So we're now going where it is going to be a bit challenging for us. But I love that you say that because I think that we can get caught. I mean, I certainly know this. You know, you can as one, as a small business, get caught into things. This is what we do. I think we have to remember as founders, we have to keep feeling creative and innovative. Yeah, I mean, this is my 17th year now. Yeah, I mean... Which is an achievement. But the last sort of two or three years, I've, I've been going to the trade shows, just looking around and seeing the same stuff and, and looking at my stuff going, this is the same as I've been doing for a long time too. And so a couple of years ago, I had a bit of a time out. I just needed a bit of a break. And I, I think you forget as a creative, you're just sort of doing the day-to-day stuff all the time. And you never give your chance to sort of yourself a chance to see the wood from the trees. And I kind of had this realisation at the trade show that I need to take some time out just to be creative. And I did that actually and a whole new volume of work kind of came from that so that was really really beneficial and now that I know that how beneficial that was back then I'm thinking I kind of need to top myself up a bit again it's like self-care isn't it you you remember you need to remember to give your brain a little bit of a rest and yeah just see those see if those ideas start coming because you've just taken yourself away from from things and I think that's maybe what this has done a bit we've got to for designers we've got to design our way out of this problem and and think outside the box so I love that because you're talking to a creative community and you know I think from hearing from you um someone that's so respected that you know you did take that break and actually commercially so forget about you know even if you think I'm the last on the pecking order commercially it was fantastic for your business maybe we'll give ourselves permission I've got a few um comments and questions Mind bump pay. Love the focus on the positives. Charlotte Lucy England. Um, COVID has put a spanner in the worlds of an old machine making us evolve from the old norm. Hashtag bring on the new. And I was talking to um, the CCMO of uh, Not on the High Street and we were talking about the changes of people's buying habits. And I was wondering a couple of questions, which is, you know, one is that you have a broad range and actually I think the small business community can feel you know even though we're our own bosses like we're the hardest bosses ever aren't we so we 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 can say to ourselves now listen you swim in that lane you're not allowed to go and venture into another domain and I'd love to ask you about that because you did you know you did and and then secondly I'd love to ask have you seen a change in buying habits from your customers? Yeah, I never felt like I should stick to one thing. Um, I just felt like if you're a designer, you can design anything, really. I mean, remember early on, I was making the first thing I did was the, was the creatures and then it um, knitted baby blankets and then I started doing cushions but I do remember thinking wow this is so seasonal like I, I'm really just having everything happening at one time of the year and what can I make that would sell to the same kind of stores in the same sort of language because I I feel like it's so important when you're doing your own work you have to create that unique selling point the unique handwriting 
I feel like sort of no point of doing it unless you have that because yeah. what have you got to offer you need to offer something new and original that's really you and personal so I had created that with the sort of it's the style um of handwriting that I use in the cushions and the creatures and the blankets and then that's where the ceramics came in I thought I can still draw um in the same way and then it that's sort of how it's just evolved each time I'm thinking oh I'd like to try some towels or I'd like to try some and I do think if you if you want to try something and you kind of put that thought out there sometimes then opportunities just sort of happen and land in your lap and you're like oh I was just thinking that would have been really good to to do that um so that well it's that thing isn't it if you put it out to the universe somehow somehow as a magic way there's a magic thing that happens isn't there I wanted to ask one of the things I always recount I mean I must say your name potentially weekly to those I talk to because you said this thing about and it really opened my eyes about and I wondered how it's been in lockdown with the world closing you you talked about you know not only in the UK will I have Donna Wilson fans there are people who will love your designs throughout the globe and you said from day one I never looked at it as a sort of UK thing which meant that you expanded across the globe and I think that sometimes small businesses find it so daunting to even think that way but I now recount that line you said to me to everyone because the 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 globe is our opportunity tell me a about that philosophy and I think it's just great hearing it firsthand but b how it's been in when the world has closed yeah I mean I think when I first started I was doing and and even now really but I was doing quite a niche product um at that time 2003 no one else was making knitted creatures and I knew that I wanted to make a living from this I knew that I wanted to make enough to be able to pay myself and pay other people I just thought of it as like, well, there's not really enough shops that would like this kind of stuff in the UK. So I need to access, I need to get to other shops in different countries. And I guess I was quite lucky that I got approached by a Japanese company who wanted to be my distributor. So I knew that there was a kind of market there in Japan. So I thought, well, if there's a market in Japan, there might be a market in other Asian countries. Um, just getting feedback from your customers is just invaluable. Look, looking for other sort of like-minded designers, seeing where they sell things as well, and just always looking out for new opportunities and being open to selling. And then we started doing the trade shows. We'd always do the international ones. And, and, and I think actually some countries are sort of leaders in that, that's in different styles and sort of innovation and things like that. And, and some countries sort of follow on a little bit yeah absolutely but you know the thing is you have you have those who loved your creatures from day one um and it was that you were not compromising on your style and who you were you were putting it out there to the world which meant that you had far more people (laughs) to convert you know who would have liked your creatures and i think that's something that I hope anyone listening will take out of this just as a starting point, which is the, the world really is the place that you need to be marketing to rather than what I, I feel is we can just settle to our home territory. What would you say? So, you know, Donna Wilson as a brand, and I, I speak often about this, you know, some would say it's um, niche. 
And I've been speaking more and more to people saying niche is the only way. The yeah. world, I would say, is going to be full as we get sort of mass advertised to with Amazons of the world and you can get anything you want. And you, do you know what I mean? It can be about shipping and price. Yeah. The niche brands, the brands who have um, a loyal following, people who relate to the brand, who relate to your style, who relate to your design, unless anything catastrophic goes wrong, we're with you forever. And I'm wondering what your thoughts are, because you've stood the test of time and you will, I would say. You're a brand of the future. It's it's really interesting because I have a bit of hindsight now because I've done it for so long. And I and I always felt like um, I wanted to, in the beginning, I felt like I really wanted to stay small. I liked the niche. I liked being quite different to what everyone else is doing. And then as time went on, um, and you know your overheads are bigger and you have more staff and you have more trade shows to do you do need to make it commercial and I kind of went along like that and we had a huge success in 2010 when I got I won the L Decoration Designer of the Year so then loads of people started to know us and it it actually became I felt like it was growing and um, I was washed along with it and didn't and and I was enjo- of course I was enjoying it and it was really hard work, but I wanted to grow it. And then a bit down, further down the line, I forgot I lost sight of that really first um, being unique type thing and and always pushing on and being innovative. And to, I, I lost sight of that because it was selling. It was really working and it was selling. And then I started to think. I want to be bigger. <laughs> I don't know why. I just, I think that was what people thought that I would want. And people would always say, what's your net five-year plan and blah, blah, blah. And I got, I got sort of, um, yeah, as I say, like washed along and thinking that I had to be bigger and better and do more ch- um, cheaper products and mass produce. But that was never my plan to start with. So interestingly, how, how you know, the, um, the fall in the sort of high street stores and things like that, um, it, it's made me reassess that again. And as, as I say, I had that sort of epiphany a few years ago and I realised that I, ha- I haven't done any new, really new stuff anyway, and for a while. So I've kind of gone full circle and now I really do want to celebrate the fact that we are really small. We, are re- we can do things that are unique. We can do things that are a bit risky and daring because we don't have to make thousands of them. And if they don't work, we do something else. And it keeps it so much more interesting. And there's something to be said for not growing huge, as you have just said, because why, why do we want all that extra stress and responsibility? And as long as you can make a sort of make it viable, that's that's I mean, you have to have that balance because you have to be able to pay people and pay yourself and make it make it viable and work then um keeping it niche and I think you're right I think that's the way the world is going people we can never compete with the high street ever because got that but I think there was a period of time where I think small businesses didn't know whether they should be and that they could and there's like these outlier brands that have and you sort of think oh okay I'm going to do that but I think that the point is is also if I'm a keen visualizer so I will visualize the future so you know you can build and build and have these massive peaks and highs well if it is a lifestyle brand as in you want to have a good life living in your business for a long period of time you're not looking to sell it and 
own Napa Island. <laughs> well, then what are you going to do when you peak? And someone asked, um, a comment here was um, uh, from KMA Douglas, is there any advice you could give to a new business starting out? Well, I think actually that is a really good piece of advice that is not often given out, which is actually it's not to say that you're not profitable and that you're not making good money, but it is the difference between maybe having a commercial high Mm-hmm. that actually takes you into another territory you can never get back from. That's exactly it. It's keeping the integrity because otherwise, why why are you doing what you're doing? You know, it's it's so important. And you're right, after a few years, you'd you be spat out and then you won't be able to do what you love doing. That is the confidence people need to say, actually, small is mighty. Yes. Um, and that, and don't, uh, you know, and a lot of big businesses and dinosaurs out there who are all shutting their shops you know, I, w- I would say that they're looking and they're wishing that maybe some other decisions had been made. That's so true. Yeah. Um, as ever, thank you, Donna, so much for just being you and really shining a light on doing it Donna's way. It's just a privilege. Oh, thank you, Holly. That's really nice. <laughs> I love her use of the word integrity. It's actually a word that I hope people would associate with Holly and Co. And Lord Billamoria, in his podcast interview, used it as the central ethos for building Cobra. And whilst it's not a very sexy word, uh, the weight it carries in building trust and strength is undeniable. I was totally buzzing with ideas after speaking to Donna, and I really admired her attitude to remaining small and niche. And I think so often we think we need to go bigger, bigger, bigger. But actually, as Donna said, remaining small and nimble not only means that you can react more quickly to external pressures we're facing in this post-COVID world, for example, but also means that you can be bolder and braver with your product design because you're not having to satisfy the mass. Looking back to the incredible back catalogue of founder stories I've captured for conversations of inspiration, I am always blown away by the rich lessons and insights that I've been lucky enough to hear firsthand. And for me, the first episode I ever recorded remains one of my most treasured and loved. And if the universe wasn't strange enough, as I was recording this very podcast, I had to press pause because she was on the other end of the line. And it might be because, you know, I love this episode because I was all full of nerves and excitement um, about putting my first podcast together and sharing it with you all. But I also believe that it is because my guest was truly a force of nature. The formidable Julie Dean, the founder of the Cambridge Satchel Company. She has also so many nuggets of information in this episode. In fact, I often find myself returning back to her episode. So do go and have a listen if you haven't. Although I literally wanted to play you the entire episode right now today, I wanted to share with you Julie recounting her story of taking her brand to the Chinese market. I was so interested when we spoke about your fantastic success in China. And I know you shared a stage, am I right in thinking this, with Jack Ma, the founder of Alibaba. And I actually think that you didn't just share a stage, you did... I went to his island and... You did a Tai Chi. A Tai Chi. 
And you did Tai Chi with him. I yeah. mean, it's slightly one of those moments that you go, you did Tai Chi with the founder of Alibaba. Yeah, and, of it, course, and it is, of course. But it is, it is, isn't it sort of like you suddenly realise that you are the female Walter Mitty? Right. <laughs> Suddenly realise that you, one minute you're you're putting in your fray bent or spine, Fen didn't, <laughs> and it's sort of fish fingers for tea. And then the, the next. next, you're you're being hypnotised by Richard Branson on a flight to Detroit, or doing Tai Chi with the founder of Alibaba. It is Walter Mitty, Walter Mitty plus. Yeah, plus this whole new market that you embarked on. Tell me what it meant to be that British brand that did that. I I think that there's a part of my personality, and it might be some lack of wiring somewhere, that I don't I don't think about what other people think. As long as I'm doing what I think I'm doing, or I need to do, then I'm I'm happy. I'm I'm, I'm fine. And so, when you stop seeking approval, it it's a lot easier. You know, and a lot of people that I speak to say, what would people think if I did that? Or what if I did that and then it failed? Or And and I just suddenly realise I'm very lucky there because I don't actually care. Chinese people are just people that live in China and they just still need bags. And they like our bags. They like the design of the bags. They like the simplicity of the bags. They like the fact that the bags are made in Britain. Us making steps towards China wasn't at a time when we had all the big executives in. Because they might have said, this is the way you do it and you need to get this and this and you need all these things in place. Uh, and we didn't do any of that. And um, so thank goodness, you know, we we didn't have sort of experts because the fact is nobody is an expert um, at the moment because things are changing so fast. And where we are lucky is that... Um, there's a genuine curiosity and love of learning, which means that we do keep up with how things change, rather than a deep-seated corporate arrogance that is, oh, this is the, you know, whatever way of doing it, this is how we do it. We, we, we don't really do it like that. Her disparaging view on experts always raises a smile. Sahar actually shared a similar sentiment, the founder of Coffee Republic, when she said, beware of the experts. Because as soon as anyone describes themselves in this way, it means they are no longer open to exploring potentially new ideas and they stop listening to their gut. There is a real beauty in the naivety and a hunger to learn. After many years mentoring small businesses and championing women founders, the imposter syndrome is something that comes up as a consistent reason as to why women are holding back from building their own businesses. Fueling this imposter syndrome is a fear of tech. And so together with Dell Technologies, we want to take the first steps in empowering women in business. So each week, I'll be giving away an award-winning Dell XPS laptop and lots of other small business goodies to cheerlead you on your journey. And I'm thrilled to say that this week's winner is the founder of Lolly and Keeks. And she wrote... Winning a Dell XPS laptop will provide a pivotal boost to the growth of my small business. 
I'm Kike, the founder of Lolly and Keeks, where I design and hand make bold and colorful wax print bags and accessories, all inspired by Africa, handmade in London and worn by all. I started my business after being made redundant when I was seven months pregnant, and I quickly came to realize that finding new employment with flexible hours that could work around caring for my new bundle of joy was almost impossible back then. So I decided to put my 10 years of retail knowledge towards creating my own brand. Three years on, Lolly and Keeks has grown from me sewing at my kitchen table top during my daughter's nap times to now selling worldwide with fabric taking over our whole home. But that's a whole other story. My daughter starts reception, or as she calls it, big school this September. So I plan to take my business to the next level. And winning the Dell XPS laptop will help catapult Lolly and Keeks on that journey, helping me to work faster, smarter, and produce higher quality work from day-to-day tasks like updating my website to producing comprehensive spreadsheets for new potential stockists without it freezing every two minutes like my decade-old laptop does. Even if I don't win, can I take this opportunity to say thank you, Holly, for being my unofficial mentor throughout my small business journey? I particularly struggled at the start of lockdown, feeling the guilt of working when my daughter's nursery closed. SME SOS bulletins really gave me hope, and I'm happy to report that I just had my biggest month of trading ever, as my customers tell me that my happy prints help bring joy to their lives. I could not think of a more worthy winner. Kike, I am wishing you all the luck and your daughter as well. You can follow her and her new laptop at Lolly and Keeks. To be in with a chance, all you have to do is email us in your story of why winning would change your business journey. We want creative and soulful tales of how you want to be empowered to take the next steps. You can email us at techinabox at Holly or for all details on how to enter, head over to holly.co. And each week, I'll pick one winner and share their story right here on this very podcast. So I'm wishing you the best of luck. The second guest I welcomed was Molly Price, the founder of the gorgeous independent design led emporium of products for children, Molly Meg. When you're scrolling through Instagram and you sort of see a Molly Meg image, you know instantly which brand it is. This is no mean feat, especially in a crowded sector like baby and child. Molly not only has the most gorgeous Instagram feed, she also has a physical retail space where she hosts events and pop-ups. So I couldn't wait to speak to her and get a point of view on both the physical and online sides of business. Hi! Hi, Holly. How are you? How are you? I'm good. How are you? Good, thank you. I was just saying that you're one of these women that I look to in industry because you've got this eye, an eye that can't be bought, where when I look at what you touch and what you buy, it's unbelievable. So I just thought I'd make you blush from the offset (laughs) of this interview. (laughs) You know, we we look back, I remember... um, when we heard from Boris and it was sort of, we were shutting down and it's probably been the only time I've 
cried during lockdown, which is anyone has a shop, it's really an extension of yourself. So you spend so long, don't you, trying to keep it open and then you have to close it, which is absolutely against everything that you have been trying to do. How was this period of time for you when you you closed the store? Yeah, it, I felt anxious and um, apprehensive, but I kind of, it's the only time in my lifetime that something's happened that affects absolutely everybody. So a, couple, a few days before we closed, uh, the schools were about to shut and then I saw loads of arts and crafts stuff and then we do workshops and that's kind of a big part and passion of mine so I sent an email like a mailing list email and I don't do them that often but I I did one and I just said oh you know the school's closing we've got loads of arts and crafts stuff things to do at home and the orders just went a bit crazy and it was such a boost because I was feeling quite anxious and me and Nikki that I work with we we hadn't closed yet and I was like oh my god the orders just keep coming and it was just that was a real boost to morale and kind of like, yes you know like and it, it, it gave me a bit of confidence and and it was a real motivator that actually you know what we can we can try and think of stuff to still keep keep going to keep going it's been interesting hasn't it because in a way I don't think um, I think so many of our businesses have grown through this period of time, not just grown online sales. And I know that this has been really important for you as many as many other small businesses, but also grown in the strength of your business. Because, you know, when would you normally have maybe sent out that email, got that response, built that, built that functionality into your website? And now you're sort of coming out. We're going to talk about reopening shops, but you're sort of coming out the other side realizing that you know when we're pushed and we ask questions or we develop or we have to do things in a way it's very very good for our companies to be put in those positions because you know so many of us can get stuck into the day-to-day of our companies would you agree with that yeah absolutely like I think for a small business it's been easier to adapt quickly because you're not there's not like huge levels of people involved. You just do it, you know. So it's- yeah. Tell me about. Um, I don't want to sound too optimistic, but and, and I, I say this, and then I think about what I read in the in a newspaper about whether we've got any second waves coming our way. But it feels like we are coming to another point in this journey. You know, when I think about shedding a tear, shutting the shop. I really felt very encouraged reopening the shop. How has that been for you? And what are your sort of hopes now you're reopening? Is there things that you're going to do differently, you know, and and potentially people out there thinking, I'm I'm sort of trying to encourage people to get on the high street. Are there things that you've learned that you would now, you should have done before, if you see what I mean? It was quite a lot. It was quite a lot of work getting the place ready for reopening so we cleared you know like just physically like we cleared it and actually that's been really good because I think I get a tendency to get overexcited and I buy all these different things and then you've got to squeeze them into a really small space so people come in the shop and they would be like oh my god you know like there's not it's not minimal so we don't have as much stuff and it actually feels so much better in the shop like you can Mm. see People can walk around without knocking something over and getting knocked over by something. And and then I think, like I was thinking about this before we spoke, and I think that like we we spent a lot of time while we were closed getting like an, a, 
real, you know, real inventory. Well, I empathise. I empathise because anyone who is thinking about going on the high street, there's all this sort of hidden stuff that goes on. And what are those things that you, you know, when someone, you know, so you've got someone wanting to be stalked, um, obviously, but what what are those words that you use when you go, ah? Oh, that's definitely right. You know, is it magic? Is it creativity? Is it because, you know, only when we talk about these things, product people talk about these things, can other people almost hear it? Because it there is this it's a it's a very difficult thing to describe, isn't it? When you're when you work out why a product's in your shop, you know, but do you have some words that are about the feeling you feel when you know something's right? If I go to a trade show or I come across something like that that's kind of to say I go to a, a trade show and I see someone new that I haven't seen before and it almost stops you you know like, and then I feel really excited so I'll come back and I'll be like oh my god like they're you know and it's so it's almost instant you know and I think that that's kind of what I I just go with now is my like my gut that feeling when you see a product you love do you also think about its commercial appeal because sometimes it's really hard to balance what you love with is it actually going to sell yeah and sometimes you can be really like I might love it but it doesn't mean everybody will I think I'm getting better at knowing because I I guess I've been doing you know I've been doing it for 10 years and so I've got a bit more confidence in knowing. But, yeah, it's not guaranteed that just because you love it. Well, yeah. I, I remember I remember launching Holly & Co's shop and, you know, you'd think I know something about product and I would say, you know, that we are going to have a queue around the corner about that product. <laughs> we need to not just buy my sister who buys the products. It's like, I don't think so, Holly. I'm like, I'm telling you now, double, triple that order and still, three years on, we're still selling the product. You know, yeah. and funny enough, I wasn't quite right there. <laughs> I've got a question here. Lillian May Studio. I would love to know what the best thing about opening a physical shop was. And actually that, um, Lillian, thank you for asking that, because that was also one of my next questions, which is you run a lot of experiences in your shop. So tell me about... Lillian's question what was the best thing about opening but I would also love to know do experiences work when creating retail theatre so just a tiny little bit of background so before I opened the shop I did a lot of pop-up shops that was a really good test yeah. but when I did them I did workshops so we would do or we'd hold events and it it was just it was really enjoyable because it's it showcasing their work Yes. Passing it on, it's teaching, you know, it's giving people insight and it also adds another dimension to the shop that's not just um, commercial, you know, it's not just about selling products. So I get to meet the customers, I get to work with the designers or the brands. Yes. So I think the best thing about having a physical space, like when I did it online, which is a really brilliant way to start, I did it all from my flat. Um, like the flat was a warehouse um, so there was no sort of separation and I just really wanted to have like a shop I didn't want to move it into like a warehouse I wanted to meet people like bring it to life 
and I love like where because we're quite you know we're quite local like it's not like we're not on the main high street so we've got a lot of regular local customers and I just I like that element of it there's a social element I guess it's like a community of people you know yeah yeah that's so it just it adds a completely different dimension that's not just transactional well it's a really an amazing way to bring your brand to life sort of outside of the utilitarian nature of just selling things you know it's the place that you take your photographs it's a place you meet your customers you have eight kids come in and get inspired and you know those parents then have an affinity with your shop because all their memories when these kids were little you know come from your magical shop it's it's an amazing thing that physicality in retail does and um and I think it can be underestimated um thank you so much for joining me today thanks for inviting me and thanks for all the advice you've given while we've been not oh. amazing it's been really good thank so. you so much Molly just has the most incredible eyes. So do go over and have a look at her feed if you haven't already. I loved hearing her talk about the feelings that are evoked when spotting that product. As a product obsessive, I know it very well. My sister Carrie and I call it the sweaty palms moment. I thought it was interesting that both Donna and Molly talked about using this time to review and rethink elements of their businesses. And my chat with Julie Dean as I was trying to record this podcast was exactly that as well. Digging into the ways things have always been done and ripping up the rule book, shaking things up. I often say to my team, change creates energy. And it really does. You might think I'm joking, but there is nothing like the power of a blank A3 page. My mind buzzes as soon as I have a clear moment to throw down new ideas, however big and small, wild or new. For that moment, there are no limits. I think for so many, and I include myself here, COVID has presented us, hasn't it, with a unique moment to pause and consider what else our businesses could do or how far can we stretch them? How can we bring in new elements and what will future-proof them? I suppose this ability to dream, plan and make it happen is exactly what we as founders were made to do it's our fuel. It's exactly why we were bold enough to forge our own ways and follow our own passions in the first place. So please do carve out that time, get that Sharpie and that A3 pad, open your mind, free it from the restrictions you think you're surrounded by and rip up rule books within your own business. The A3 page might just be the greatest gift you can give your own business this year. I hope you've enjoyed this episode, this SME SOS special podcast. We'll be taking a pause over the next few weeks, but we'll be back in September. And finally, before you go, and you know, each week I ask you, conversations of inspiration. Well, if you love it, it needs you to be its ambassadors to help spread the word of the most amazing founders and their stories. And I'm just wondering, can you help me? Can you help spread the word? And if you do, I thank you from the bottom of my heart. Wishing you the best rest of the week, a few restful moments, and I'll see you back in September for SME SOS, the special podcast.
Bow your head and let your eyelids close on down Where we're going you won't need to bring your frown You will find that all the things that I have said Will come to when you are lying in your bed And if you want your friends to come